Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, we come to you between sessions here on day seven at the US Open, ahead of an incredible night session in prospect, at least on paper, between Daniel Medvedev and Nick Kyrgios. We're going to be catching up with that at the back end of this edition of the Tennis Podcast. But we've already had a heck of a day, and there's so much to talk about. So Catherine Whitaker, Matt Roberts and myself, we are convening around a nice little table in the media garden. I've got a beer which could go horribly wrong because I haven't had one all week long. So I don't know what state I'll be in in about 10 minutes. Uh, how are we doing? A little bit sweaty. Yeah, it is a bit, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> After an absolutely glorious couple of days here, uh, the humidity has shot up again. And it is it does ruin a nice day, humidity, doesn't it? It is a real party pooper. <laughs> <laughs> is it harder on TV as well? Yeah. Yeah, don't want to get into too much detail, but you have to wear shapewear on TV. So imagine sort of, you know, wearing whatever you're wearing, having to look nice and not shiny, and then also sort of having a gusset <laughs> and some high heels. You don't have the... the um, I know it's, you know, get the violins out for me. It's obviously, you know, there's nowhere I'd rather be and nothing I'd rather be doing, but there's nothing as stressful in humidity as having to look put together but at least no glaring lights from a studio this time oh no there, there are portable lights ah okay mm. so there are <laughs> lots to consider they still light us david they like <laughs> us not to look like we're in the dark right okay Gen- generally speaking i see okay um, how, how are you yeah. matt very well a little bit buzzing actually having just come out of the arthur ash stadium for coco goff's win that was one of the best matches I've seen all tournament. Wow. And um, Coco Goff said in her press conference the other day when she went out to watch Serena that she had to go in because the noise gave her a headache. <laughs> and I was genuinely wondering whether she was getting a headache during the match today because it was loud on yeah. Ash. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't quite Serena loud, but they love her here. And I think her making a run at this tournament, particularly this tournament, as we've talked about her being sort of Serena and Venus's living legacy is extra special and there's a just an intensity to her matches the way she competes she brings 
brings the crowd with her and I just loved every single moment. You know, you've talked about being in those seats on Ash. They're, you know, they're high up. You can sometimes feel a little bit disconnected from what's going on. No one in that stadium was disconnected. Everyone was engaged. It was fantastic and especially so for a day session. You know, normally you get those sorts of atmosphere at night, but it was it was special. Yeah, I mean, listen... We've known about Coco Goff for a long time now, three years plus, Matt. Um, it's clear that her status has been building here over that, the course of that time. And there was the real hype three years ago. And then I think people maybe slightly had to check themselves because it's not, to me it's not really fair to, to just assume she's going to be the greatest player on the horizon and meet all these expectations. But today felt like New York really connected with her and discovered her on another level. That was just my sense, watching an incredibly competitive match, an incredibly high-level match, and her pulling it out. And all eyes were on her. Yeah, well, this really is the prime-time slot, isn't it, at the weekend? The second match of the day over Labor Day weekend is more of a prime time slot than it is during the week and that's that's demonstrated by the fact that Rafael Nadal has got that slot tomorrow so I think the fact that they put Goff there is pretty telling uh, and also I just think as you say she's a contender now and I think in 2019 she was you know the 15 year old incredible story uh, and everyone was rooting for her but you know I don't think people were really thinking she would win the tournament um, obviously 2020 was a behind closed doors US Open and now she's yeah she, she is a real contender and that I think gets people excited and her tennis is has, has improved so much over the last year or so so yeah I think I think it, it really is sort of Coco's time in, in New York now I just wonder if the pandemic has helped Coco Goff a little um purely in terms of her tennis because you know I've been pondering on the fact that it seems to me obviously I'm not you know embedded in the US tennis media and looking at US tennis coverage all the time but it seems to me that she's been given time that everybody celebrated that run in in 2019 and what she was doing as a 15 year old and yes put a bit of pressure on her and wanted impatiently wanted her to succeed as soon as possible but she has been allowed to just spend a couple of years settling into the tour without too many questions about why she's not winning Grand Slams yet. I'm sure those questions have been asked. I've, I've heard it muttered once or twice, but it seems to me not as much as it could have been. Um, and I wonder if that is a little bit to do with the pandemic. Those two years have coincided perfectly, exactly with the COVID years. So maybe that's coincidence maybe it's not you know people have had their attention diverted elsewhere but you know she's still only 18 but equally she's she's really had time to develop comfort as a tour pro and on these stages and you know develop her doubles game um i had some good chats on air today on prime video with both martina navratilova clang name drop alert here martina navratilova and with Jim Curry about Coco Goff and Martina's obviously such a big fan of the fact that she plays doubles and commits to doubles in the way that she does and 
her argument to players was yes every now and then playing doubles will cost you a singles match if you finish late the night before you might lose your singles match the next day once or twice a season but look at it in the big picture it will make you a better player Mm. that is an exchange that you should be willing to accept wow what a fascinating insight and Jim Courier agrees with that analysis, but he also says that the cards have fallen, happened to have fallen really kindly for Coco Goff because she's getting the long-term benefit of having played all these doubles, but also in the short term, in the micro in this tournament, she happens to have lost the first round. Right. So it's not going to cost her specifically in this tournament on a match-by-match level. So she's kind of getting the best of both worlds here. I think we're we're seeing the evidence. I agree with that that point about the time that she's had to take over the last couple of years because incrementally the pressure can build horribly for a player who has a breakout like that and then is expected and is predicted and everybody kind of wants her to meet those predictions because they made them. Um, And it puts a lot on the player. We're seeing it with Emma Raducanu, I think, to, to some degree. And if I go back quite a while to Andy Roddick when Andy Roddick burst on the scene as a teenager and I remember I mean it took him three to four years to win his Grand Slam title in 2003 here it's my first year here first thing he did when he came in the press conference after that match sat down and he said right no more next big hope talk no more when are you going to win a Grand Slam alright first question you know, he didn't. He just didn't want to hear it anymore. And and it, if you if you'd have asked him, he would have said none of that bothers me. All up until there, but it did bother him. It bother. It, it's how can it not? Huh? It's going to infiltrate your mind. And finally, he put that to bed and was able to just sort of look them in the eye in a way of of not having to worry about that anymore. And and I mean, not that she has to worry about it now. I don't think. But I think it has helped that she hasn't had quite that relentless coverage for two years one last bit of uh, Jim Courier analysis for you shoehorned in here because I think you'll like it David it pertains to the 90s Um, we were talking about the the bit of I brought up the bit of intel that we were given by Mary Carrillo on air today about how Coco Goff is going out to hit on the practice courts after every match that she plays here to, to take the the emphasis mentally off the match court and make it just all about playing tennis doesn't matter if it's there or on the biggest tennis stadium in the world it's all just playing tennis and Jim Curry's eyes lit up when I asked him that question because he said that is something that Jose Higueras implemented as soon as he came on board with Jim Curry going out to hit after every competitive match he played and he said it shifted things mentally for him completely he said he made it about it made it for him about the process right rather than the outcome which is a a sporting cliche we hear day in day out and we all sort of roll our eyes at it like yeah yeah of course you know but what does it actually mean and that really clicked for me when Jim Courier gave that example of what it really means in practice and Jose Higueras um coached um Diego Moyano, who is the coach that Coco Goff right, had yeah. brought on board in May of this year. 
That, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that there, there is a relentlessness about training that forehand of hers with big strikes into it in the, on the practice court from what I've heard. Matt, I mean, just in terms of the match today, in terms of clean ball striking, Zheng Shui was fantastic. I think she played pretty much to the peak of her powers out there. She's a player with a lovely backhand and a good all-round game. But, you know, for anybody who loves a backhand like you, she's got one. And then you've got them both just trading and both I felt like pretty much at peak powers at the same time throughout most of the match and speaking of peak powers Matt did a backhand list update on Twitter today which I think was was peak Matt Roberts (laughs) could could you inform us I did it as a equivalent of a sort of entry list update who's out Bogdan who's in Coco Goff who's next to go in Isla Tomjanovic Wow. But for now, she has to wait. So but Coco Goff is in. Coco Goff is in. It just got reached the point where she just had to be on the list. Uh, you know, I don't know whether I've actually properly explained the list because I'm not sure I fully understand the list. It's we, basically we just get a, a lot feeling. of emails. It's basically just a feeling. It has to be a good backhand. It has to look nice. Those are those are fundamentals. But then it also has to be something else about it. And I think, you know, someone like Anisimova, it's just the pure backhand. Golubic, it's the best one hand on the WTA Tour, I think, so it stands out. Uh, Goffs, though, she just comes up with it at key moments. That's what I really like about it. It's such a reliable shot. And you talk about the forehand, I sometimes feel like she doesn't fully commit to that. She sometimes decelerates on it. That's never the case with the backhand. She's just fully engaged in that shot. Whole she trusts body, it. isn't it? Whole body throws herself into it. It's such a good shot. Um, and, yeah, you're right. For it to be a great match, both players have to be playing well, really. And Zhang Shui was awesome. She was brilliant. She had a break in both sets, uh, which Goff turned round. And the pure hitting from the back of the court, the ability to change direction and go up the line it was just it was just all there and at the same time when it got tight in each set Goff was the player I, I trusted more because she seems to get better in those tight moments she relishes them there was there was one moment where she won a game and sort of sprinted oh. back to her chair whipping up the crowd it was, it. it was just awesome she's <laughs> such a great competitor and her game is, is brilliant as well she's She's going to take some stopping at this tournament, but there is a blockbuster next round. Yeah, just before we get on to her opponents, she was 3-5 down in that second mm. set and won the last four games. And uh, and the handshake, the, the embrace, frankly, between the two, really it brought a lump to my throat. There was, it was, there was such warmth between them, and Zheng seemed genuinely happy for her opponent and to have been involved in a match like that. And we were talking last night about the Dan Evans-Marin Chilich match. And I had a little chat with Evans today about... Yeah, sorry about the name Not drop. quite Jim Courier no, and Martina Navratilova. You know, just drop. about... He, he confirmed that it was just really enjoyable to be part of a match like that, even though he lost. And, and I think that we're seeing the purity of the sport right there. That, yes, it's disappointing not to win, but... If you're part of something like that, that's kind of the whole point, really. And I think if if you are a tennis player who's focused on, I'm going to use that phrase again, process, not outcome, like, you would take a lot from playing a match like that, even if you didn't win. 
Like I think it's maybe hard for us. Like we we are fixated on results, but I don't necessarily think all players see it like that. It's very football manager saying, yeah, but the performance. Yeah. When you've just lost, you know, four nil at home, (laughs) four nil away to Huddersfield. And he's throwing things at the TV. <laughs> um, but, you know, it doesn't mean there's not logic to, to it. No. Uh, so this opponent she's got next is Caroline Garcia. Caroline Garcia, I keep getting told to call her. I, I, I can't really get my head around that yet, but I'm trying, folks. So Caroline Garcia, who is just playing the, the 2017, is it 2017 tennis that she played to get to the WTA finals and winning back-to-back um, Masters 1000 titles or Premier mandatories or whatever they were called back then and it doesn't show any sign of stopping that's the thing I mean she's beaten Alison Riss today 6-4-6-1 there was a bit of a stressful end even though she was 6-5-1 up it, there were loads of breakback points and all that sort of thing and I did sort of think oh if she doesn't hold here I wonder whether this gets interesting well <laughs> she did hold and she just is taking it to opponents in a way that I don't think I've ever seen. Not even that run. There's a kind of, I am coming to get you no matter what you do. Look about her. Yeah, we're all in this for Andy Murray's tweet, aren't we? If she, if she wins the title. <laughs> it was 11 years ago that Andy Murray tweeted that she was going to be world number one. More than 11 years ago. Um, it really took me aback today when I saw that. Was Twitter even a thing in 2011? I know Andy Murray was an early adopter of Twitter, wasn't he? But was his very first tweet about Caroline <laughs> Garcia? He signed up specially. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I can almost believe that. You know. <laughs> I'm going to sign up to Twitter because I need to get this out there. <laughs> um, yeah, goodness me, she's playing with such conviction, isn't she? She seems, she looks to me like one of those players that's suddenly playing on instinct. And she's not got that second track in her brain, analysing everything she does and preempting everything she does and doubting it. She's just she's just doing it. It's all it's all digital. Nothing's analog. Um, and there's there's parallels with Coco Goff here because although they're at very different stages of their career, they're both coached by their fathers and have been for their whole careers, but have also both recently taken quite a big step to bring in an outsider to the team uh, the name of Caroline Garcia's coach escapes me now he's a he's a French coach um, I, I was speaking to some members of the Prime Video team today that rated him quite highly um, and look the results speak for themselves don't they and I know that's something look with all due respect to her father she's you know she's been a really good player for a long time but I don't think this is an accident that this has happened yeah. with another voice being being brought onto the team um, and it's wonderful to see because well is it wonderful to see actually because she makes tennis look disgustingly easy sometimes <laughs> and I, I resent that um, it's so smooth isn't it when it's when it's on like it is right now and I, I think that was a big win actually the head to head with Alison Risk Amritage 3-0 and in Risk Amritage's favour going into I couldn't in believe today. that when you told me that I did not I would have thought that her game Fitted Garcia in Matt's, many ways. Matt's about to tell you that risk and recharge is tricky. She, she is actually. She I wasn't. I wasn't going to say that, but now you say it, you're right. She is tricky, and especially tricky on grass, which is where yeah. two of those three meetings had been. Um, 
But yeah, it's a big deal, I think, to beat someone who's always had your number. And this is a really sustained run of form for Garcia. You know, this is going way back into the early part of the summer where she started playing well. She won 30 of her last 34 matches. And I think the big question mark was, would she do it at the US Open? You know, we all said, yes, she's in the mix for the title, but she's also in the mix to go out in round one. And... I don't think she's dropped a set yet. I don't think she's even lost more than four games in a set. She's been really dominant. And I think there's, I think there's excitement growing. Certainly if the French journalist in, in our room is anything oh, yes. to go by. We didn't actually <laughs> need to be watching the match or following the scores to know what was going on because it was all, Allez! Oui, oui, oui! <laughs> she, uh, she's won 29 matches since June. and that, In fact, that's 30 now, I think. Uh, because that was a graphic that we ran before the match today, and that so that's eleven more than the person in second place for for match wins since June, which uh, was Simona Halep on nineteen. I think there were a couple of others on nineteen as well. That's you know you, often with stats like that, if there's a lot of people clustered around the same number, I think mm. you know that is such a gap. Um, you know, and numbers like that always make me think about Andy Roddick's words about about form. What are they, David? Exactly. Um, form he, over experience. Yes, yeah, he would take that. Fascinating. I mean, the, the head-to-head between these two is two-zero in favour of Goff. Uh, both of them in the last year, one in Indian Wells, one in Doha. The the one in Indian Wells was close. But I, th- I just think Garcia is playing a different level of tennis to what she was playing in both of those two. I honestly, I feel you could pretty much flip a coin in terms of trying to work out who's going to win that match. That's how close it feels to me. Yeah, I wonder whether the stadium, the crowd, will be a determining factor because it's going to be loud. Sure, in Goff's favour. Although Caroline Garcia has won a Fed Cup now Billie Jean King Cup final in Australia hasn't she um, I know she didn't perform brilliantly in singles but she won the decisive doubles rubber didn't she in a cauldron like atmosphere you know it something all, um, all helps Naomi Brody mentioned doubles and the fact that she's played Grand Slam finals in doubles there's a reason why it may help her go the distance here because she's used to that slightly unusual atmosphere I mean if, you, if you've never been around the last few days of a Grand Slam it, it gets very quiet in the corridors the, the player lounge is just deserted and and I mean this is a different thing for players who haven't done it before if you've never gone beyond the first week of a Grand Slam you're just not aware of it being like that um, so yeah a lot to get used to but she is familiar with it from that standpoint and in a couple of days time just can't wait for these matches they're fantastic on paper the men's side of things, we had a quarterfinal set up between Matteo Berrettini and Casper Ruud. I mean, those, I don't, again, those are two players I've struggled to choose between who might win that. They've both reached Grand Slam finals over the last 18 months. Um, Berrettini had a much harder time to get over the line today. What a match that turned into against Alejandro Davidovic Fikina, who is just an electric presence, isn't he? People. There, there may have been a lot of people that arrived at that match not knowing too much about him, but they will rem- they will leave telling neighbours about him. Yeah, tennis needs to market that guy more. I think yes. I've 
market him and his animal sanctuary. Well, quite. There's just a lot to like yes. about him. I Which, sorry to adopt-us. name jock again. Yes, adopt us. Check it out, folks. Particularly folks in Spain, I think. <laughs> if you're in Australia, maybe you don't want to adopt an animal. Just from to look at the photos. D- but, well, yes, yes. <laughs> I actually do do that sometimes. I, know I just you go do. on the Battersea website <laughs> to see see what's happening. Um, uh, another quick name drop from Martina. She's I brought up the animal sanctuary on air with her today, obviously, because she had she had her dog Lulu uh, at her feet at the time. I was desperately trying to get her on air. Lulu, she's a gorgeous little dachshund. Um, and Martina's eyes lit up and she said, yes, I personally thanked him for setting up that animal sanctuary. She was, she is all about Alejandro Davidovich Fakina and adopt us, as, as rightly she should be. Quite right. And I mean, I have never watched him and not had fun. Like, he's, he just is a good time on a, on a tennis court. And that's... Why? Well, it's partly his tennis. You know, it's pretty... It's pretty dynamic and electric. You know, he's he's got he's got big shots. He flings himself around the court. He's got incredibly strong, powerful legs. He does a lot of training on on the beach, a lot of running Ooh, on the beach. And on the beach. His his leg muscles are just huge. I'm just going to take the opportunity to bring up the '90s again, David. <laughs> nice. Andre Agassi running, uh, famously training by running up and down sand dunes. Correct. Mm. Oof. Feel tired just thinking. About it. <laughs> I'm not doing that. No chance. Um, so, so there's so there's that part. His his game is exciting. He's also case in point today. He'd taken the match into a fifth set, really against all odds. Because after he'd won the first set, Berrettini had taken control. He was starting to hit his serve, and honestly, the match felt over. And then just a moment of inspiration from Davidovich Fakina, an incredible passing shot up the line, helped him get the break in the fourth, and he won the set. And you're thinking, right, I'm so ready for this fifth set. They both go off court for a bathroom break. Davidovich Fakina comes out, makes three errors, and loses serve. And just, that's the match, pretty much. And you're just thinking, oh, what are you doing? And then he gets a lifeline because he breaks back. Then he does the same thing again, loses serve again. And. <laughs> You just can't afford to do that against Berrettini. And then it was a bit of a bummer because he ended up, Davidovich Fakina, hurting his uh, leg. I, th- I think he sort of jammed his knee in the mm. court and he couldn't really move for the last few games of the match. But, you know, right there, that match was in the balance because he was toe-to-toe with Berrettini, tennis-wise, and he just let it slip in a way that Berrettini doesn't lose matches like that at slams he's so reliable so relentless he can keep it up for five sets and he yet again found a way to win but I did enjoy the match a lot I have a feeling he's going to be one of those players whose magic is also his Achilles heel yeah that makes sense yeah Um, a bit bit Monfils like a bit Monfils like and will never quite be a real factor but will be great fun and will occasionally do something really special yeah. and then frustratingly not back it up in the next round <laughs> yeah, yeah I think that's, the, that's that's the story of his sort of short career mm. so far I mean with that French Open he beat Rude a couple of years ago brilliant match and then he was flat against Zverev wasn't he and, and, and Berrettini will probably be the opposite because he just yeah. will keep going I mean he doesn't lose matches like this does he yeah what's, what's your what are the words that you came up with for 
for Berrettini. He just chugs along. Chugs along, yeah. And I, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. He puts his head down and he takes it. There's he no just, there's no peaks and troughs, no, are there? No, he takes the disappointments and he trusts what he's got. He knows what he's got. He's got this massive serve. He's got a huge forehand. He's got decent touch around the net. He's got a bit of a liability of a backhand that he needs to protect. And he just rides it out and assumes that the percentages will work if he keeps doing the right things and most of the time unless he's playing Djokovic or Nadal it works and I mean I think there was a stat came up that he'd hit 50 odd or maybe more forehand winners and he'd hit about six on the backhand side yes and that stat came up just before he then hit a brilliant backhand winner to break serve it was like he was like huh (laughs) <laughs> I, need to, I need to correct those stats. He's such a good pro. And I tell you, he's, he's, yeah. he's great in the interview room. He came in the press conference room afterwards. I, I was about to go for a, a bit of lunch and I suddenly heard, saw him go past. And I thought, oh, I, I want to go and have a chat and listen to him and ask him a question. And I, I, I'm, I mean, I listened to his chat about the match and he, he, said, he was really candid. He said, honestly, he said my game was in good shape, but I wasn't there mentally. I had a bad day mentally early on in the match. And and I just wasn't quite right. And uh, I mean, maybe this, the honestly, the humidity here would make you go around the twist a bit. To be honest, it's it's been horrible at times Confirmed. today. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I asked him, thinking back to Wimbledon and what form he was in. He just won two grass court tournaments. He's coming into Wimbledon and he 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 gets symptoms and he tests and he tests positive for COVID and he withdraws from Wimbledon. And I said, how bad were you? You know how bad were the symptoms? Did you? Because I don't, I don't know whether there was a strict. You know, you weren't tested officially by the tournament, so people are relying on you to make it there your own no mind. There was no obligation to declare at all. No. Is my understanding? I, it was a, an honest. I just said, what sort of turmoil were you in at that time, and and does that give you even more desire to to do it here? And he said, he said, actually, you know, I was in a bad way. I was, I'd, my bones were shaking. I'd, I. I had fever. I was in a bad way for three weeks, to be honest. He said there was no way I could have played. Wow. If I had have tried to play, I do. I really don't know what would have happened, but I couldn't. And he said also it wouldn't have been the right thing to do. And he said I've got a lot of people that I know who've been badly affected by COVID. I haven't lost anybody, but friends of mine have lost people. And um, he said I just I wasn't going to do that, no matter what. And uh, he says, but yeah, it does. It it makes me even more motivated here. To, I guess to make up for lost time you don't get that many Grand Slam tournaments in your career do you especially when you're in the form he was in back then um, and now with Djokovic not around and Nadal a question mark because of his inactivity Berrettini is right in there in the conversation he's got fangs he has yeah I'm still guilty of doubting his fangs and every time I tune into him he, re- he reminds me how pointy his fangs are. Yeah. Um, which is one of our favourite Mary Carilla lines, which just makes sense at the moment you, she said that for the first time. It made sense. Jim Courier came up with the word moxie in our coverage a couple of days ago, um, which apparently is something that is well used in the American vocabulary, but I quizzed him on what it means. And the definition that he read out, which he Googled live on air... Not sure it was brilliantly dynamic television, but we went with it. Um, probably better than when we when we got shut down by the NYPD yesterday live on air um, because somebody 
no names being named. There, there was a bag left unattended. <laughs> oh, God, I shouldn't anyway, have happened. But... <laughs> we stayed on air. We stayed on air. It was all fine. Okay. Um, what was I saying? Moxie. Yes, Googled live on air. The definition is almost identical to Fang's. Ah. He slash she has Moxie. Right. So. Makes sense. Does Casper Rude have Fang stroke Moxie? Because he's just beaten Corentin Mute today, me. four sets today, and I mean, the moment I saw that they were playing against each other, I kind of, I kind of got sympathy cramp for the two of them. Because imagine what they're going to do to each other. You know, they're going to go five hours. It's going to be exhausting. They're going to, one of them's going to be scraped off the court at the end as a winner. Yeah, it wasn't really like that. It was it was four sets, but it no, felt... No, but I'm talking about the next match. Oh, the Berrettini, Rude Berrettini. The, yeah, that's right, the one I was going to say, I think you're overestimating Corentin Mute <laughs> a little bit. Come on, Catherine, <laughs> give me some credit. Um, there, was a, there, was a, sorry, there was a little bit of aggro in Mute Rude, Yes, there was. There? And yeah, Mute... Mute did his best to muster some rude aggro. Well, I was no th- Holger Runa. I was thinking, you've got to be careful, Mute, because... Rude will be shouting in your face in the locker room before you know it. Allegedly. <laughs> he definitely was never done that. <laughs> um, what was he getting aggro about? I can't even It was the remember. end of the second set. He's winning 6-2, 6-1, isn't he, Rude? Or, yeah. Or more or less I believe it was because Rude wanted Mute to get some kind of warning or oh, violation yes. for hitting the ball out of the stadium yes. or something. And uh, Mute said, well, give him the game then. Yeah, the see if I care. <laughs> I think he probably would care. If the game means that much to him when he's 6 yeah. two, five, one up, give it to him. Um, and I suppose it ruffled Kasparud a little bit because he was two comfortable sets in a break-up. He ends up losing the third on a tie-break, but it never felt in doubt. You know, Kasparud just felt really comfortable to me. Mm. Um, I back Matteo Bertini because of the fangs. I'm not saying Kasparud doesn't have them, but I'm definitely more convinced by Berrettini's fangs You're at not? this stage I'm also more convinced by Berrettini's moxie just to mix it up they're quite similar in that both want the ball on their forehand as much as possible and both try and avoid the backhand as much as possible but, but Berrettini's got a far bigger serve yeah, I, I think, think his game is better his on game agreed although the uh, round the net post backhand winner mm. that Casper Ruud hit today is waving at you right now yes <laughs> and he hit a forehand round the net mm. there the were three winner. round the net post winners in one set in wow. that match which makes it sound like a brilliant match if you're thinking of getting it on replay it wasn't don't waste yeah. your time get your seven minutes uh, watch something different watch uh, <laughs> watch Coco Goff against Zhang Shui yes or uh, or Davidovich Fakina against Berrettini it wasn't that great a match but there were three round the net post <laughs> winners which were great indeed listen I can hear the atmosphere bubbling inside the Arthur Ashe Stadium ahead of Kyrgios Medvedev so Matt and I are going to go and get in there Catherine's been here since about 7 o'clock in the morning I, I had a lovely leisurely brunch so I'm going to stay the late shift with Matt um, just before we do though let's just very quickly go through tomorrow's schedule because on Ash it starts with Petra Kvitova against Jessica Pagula these are good matches all the way through tomorrow uh, Rafael Nadal against Francis Tiafo. great slot for it I think that um, it's going to be really interesting to see whether Tiafo can push Nadal maybe he can beat Nadal then there's Daniel Collins against Arena Sabalenka in the night session followed by Marin Cilic, Carlos Alcaraz I mean that cracking order of play tomorrow um, what, what, what's your favourite one there is there anything that stands out 
Well, I don't, I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but a little bit what stands out to me is that Igor Shontek's been scheduled on Armstrong again. And that's three out of four on Armstrong, only once on Ash, and that was her first time ever playing on Ash. Um, I, I can see that there's a case for it on the basis of the the match versus the other matches, but I just feel like three out of four times not on the main stadium for somebody who has been a dominant world number one this year um, doesn't feel quite right. Um, and, you know, I, I hear some hear some chanter that, you know, Shvantec doesn't quite get the cut through and, hey, folks, she's never going to get the cut through and, unless she's she's yeah. on the biggest stages. But, look, I get it. You two, know, ma- two match, I match by match, it's Americans. The matches that are on Ash are great matches, but yeah. big picture... I wish she'd been scheduled on Ash one or two times more, but yeah. if she wins tomorrow, then well, her time will come. Well, it will indeed. She's second on on Armstrong tomorrow uh, after Cameron Norrie against Andre Rublev. We've got Victoria Azarenka against Karolina Pliskova, and we've got Yannick Sinner against Ilya Ivashka. So that's the schedule of play for tomorrow. Just before you go, Catherine, a little bit of news, courtesy of AO Travel. Uh, our partners during the US Open, they're going to send us to the Australian Open. Us three. How cool is that? I can feel the faff being relieved from my shoulders. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pretty damn cool. Yeah, they're going to fly all three of us to the Australian Open to cover it for the tennis podcast, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. If you want to go and check out all the stuff they, they offer, flights, accommodation, tickets for the Australian Open premium experiences such as wine tasting behind the scenes tours a Rod Laver Arena walk on it's all available to have a look at ozopentravel.com we've also got our fantastic competition for friends of the tennis podcast become a friend if you're not already and you can be in the draw to try to win a pair of us of AO travel packages to the Australian Open loads of tickets over the middle weekend of the Australian Open for two people accommodation two return economy flights and a premium experience all thrown in so become a friend of the tennis podcast right Matt let's get in the Arthras Stadium Catherine we'll see you tomorrow I want to come <laughs> your, your alarm call you know call. I'm a chronic FOMO sufferer David don't rub salt in the wound sorry about that but you know You'll watch it on telly, I'm sure, and we'll all chat about it. And we'll all catch up and get your views on it tomorrow. How about Mm. that? Have fun. (laughs) A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Well, sorry, Catherine, I can report that it, it was fun. Um, <laughs> And uh, uh, I know Catherine has been uh, watching it on TV and uh, and enjoying it with everybody else. But yeah, it was it was quite something to be at Flushing Meadows while all that was going on. I, we didn't I didn't watch it all in the stadium. I, I was fascinated to listen to the commentary. There were multiple matches going on at the same time. There was an incredible match with Isla Tomljanovic and Ludmila Samsonova that we'll get on to in a minute as well. But Matt and I now are sitting on the bus that is about to go back to Manhattan. The reason we, we're sitting here and not in the media garden, which is where we set up to, to record this a, a couple of moments ago, is because... The clouds have decided to dump their contents on us and it began raining. So we've raced to the bus and we're sitting here on an empty bus. We've got 20 minutes to go until they take off. Take off. Set off. Uh, imagine if it took off. Um, and then we're going to yeah, get back into Manhattan. But not before discussing a four-set victory for Nick Kyrgios over Daniel Medvedev, which was... Quite a spectacle, and it involved a 13-11 first set tiebreak. Medvedev hit back to win the second set 6-3. And for me, very surprisingly, Nick Kyrgios then just took over, and he won those two two next sets pretty comfortably. Um, I think, Matt, that I've just witnessed the best performance of Nick Kyrgios's career. What do you think? I am aware of recency bias, but I think I agree with you because that was a world number one he beat and it was a world number one he beat over five sets, which is something that we've doubted whether Nick Kyrgios could do. You know, he had that run to the Wimbledon final, but he didn't beat anyone of Medvedev's calibre, you know, the defending champion, someone who plays really, really well on these courts. He was incredible tonight so focused other than one moment which we'll come on to I'm sure uh, but just clinical tennis the first set felt huge and Kyrgios said that in his press conference didn't he he said that if he lost that he felt like it would have been really really tough I was struggling to find words to put that set into context and I actually saw a tweet from Quentin of L'Equipe a journalist for their keep and he actually taught me a new word in French to describe it which was very handy because I had none in English un set zanzan which is a great little expression it means a bonkers set a crazy set <laughs> I mean three, three set points for Medvedev and some of the saves that, Med- that Kyrgios did one in particular a volley off his toes onto the line I mean that guy's 
skill set is a joke. Yeah, I, actually, the, the guy's skill set is a joke. I think we've always known he has an incredible skill set, but it's been so often wrapped up in self-indulgence, really, as as a skill set that he uses for trick shots and entertainment, mm. which I've I've never had a problem with. Generally, in terms of you know, I've enjoyed them over the years, those sort of shots. But actually, watching him package them to dismantle an opponent's game or to fend them off was a very interesting viewing experience it's something I I think I've seen in snapshots when he's played Djokovic or when he's played Federer um, and beaten them um, or lost, lost to Federer narrowly but I've, never, I've not seen him do that at a Grand Slam over the best of five sets when he's you know, in the heart of the tournament against a defending champion like tonight, I just expected Medvedev to be the one to take over, and it was the opposite. Yeah, Kyrgios overwhelmed him with his game, with his options, with the sting on his shots. It was a complete performance. It, it really was. And look, I don't think Medvedev, as I said coming into the tournament, I didn't think Medvedev was playing that well this summer. I don't think he played his best tennis tonight uh, I, f- I feel like Medvedev of a year ago probably probably would have dug in a little bit more like I, I did think that yeah Kyrgios overwhelmed him in a way that did surprise me and it was mainly because of how good Kyrgios was but I did there was just a slight lack of resistance from Medvedev but it was maybe just the fact that he didn't feel like he, there was much he could do that Kyrgios was just too good for him he did reference afterwards Medvedev in the press conference that he he has been feeling a bit sick. He he referenced how he, he gets an annual illness mm. due to the air conditioning in America. And last year he said he got it during Cincinnati, which kind of got it out of the way. Mm. Um, and, he, and it was very relatable because we were shivering in a, a very highly air-conditioned press conference room. It was like being in a, walking into a sort of uh, human-sized and cavernous fridge freezer really and uh, yeah I mean I, I, I think that that is a thing there is a problem here with the with the weather conditions uh, and then coming you know hot and humid outside and then coming into really chilly indoor temperatures but at the same time I mean he then said I'm not I'm not making excuses though <laughs> after he said all this and look I'm not I'm not accusing him of uh, of making excuses but, I mean, at the same time, I just think he wasn't at his best, but Kyrgios didn't really allow him to be. He didn't allow him to take over. And, and there, was, there was an interesting answer at the end of Medvedev's press conference where he was trying to describe how he was altering his returning position to try and stop Kyrgios serving and volleying by standing closer. But then he's not as comfortable when he's there. So he was his brain was scrambled by what was going on down the other end of the court um, and yet I think it was the most complete performance from Kyrgios and the, the most mentally strong in a match because he didn't yeah he had his he had a few rants and and got stressed with the, with his box at one point he said where where should I serve when he got serve, um, set point and this wasn't his showboating with the crowd member for fun this was genuinely don't know where to serve tell me to his support team and when he then lost the point he shouted tell me where to fucking serve um, and um, but you know he still won the set and he still won the match and he won it convincingly and deservedly can we talk about his lapse 
Yeah, I think we can because it's the most extraordinary thing. <laughs> he he um he had a great rally with Medvedev, and then he went for a running forehand where he tried to whip it around Medvedev with side spin and bend, and Medvedev stuck out his racket at the very last second and edged it up into the air, but it was only going to land on basically on the spot that he'd hit it from, so it was going to just go straight vertically up in the air. And whilst it did, Kyrgios carried on his run from the running forehand, went around the net to kick to Medvedev's side, and then playfully hit the ball on the volley into the court and smiled and as if to say, oh, I've, beat, I've not only won the point, but I've come around your side of the net and put it away for a winner of the forehand volley. Medvedev just immediately pointed as if to say, that's not allowed. And Kyrgios said, what, 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 what? And uh, umpire Ivar Azdaraki said, foul shot, <laughs> point to Medvedev. And, and I, I, I must admit, at that point, I did think there's a chance that Kyrgios goes ballistic here and loses, loses his concentration altogether and, find, frankly, finds a reason to, to blame. Um, well, he didn't do that. He kept his good humour, to be honest. He went over to Patrick McEnroe and he said, am I not allowed to do that? And he said, I thought that was a legal shot. Um, and of course it's not a legal shot you, you have to wait for the ball to go dead but I've never seen that before no it was like have you never played tennis before Nick like how do you not know <laughs> even that? I know that like everyone knows that like that is insane truly I didn't understand what was happening in that moment and I thought maybe he'd done it like I thought he was going to run over and fake it I thought he was going to fake it and it was going to be a fun moment uh, and, and I do believe him when he says that he just forgot the rule. Yeah. Like, it, like, that was a look on his face that I don't think you can really fake. That was a big moment. That was 30-all yeah, to get a break to point. Get a break he, was, point. he had won the point, basically, yeah. to get to a break point, and he, and he handed it to his opponent. And honestly, for him to still win the match after that, Oh, his, probably one of his biggest achievements. Yeah, his really, response, mentally. as you said, was was impressive. And in the end, I think it loosened him up a bit because, as you said, he did have the chat with Patrick McEnroe on the sidelines. And at that stage in the match, Medvedev was kind of on top, wasn't he? Just won, just won the second set. I think Kyrgios did need a bit of spark again, and he managed to find it from truly one of the dumbest plays I've I've ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, and he, he owned that moment in the on-court interview. He did speak to Patrick McEnroe, actually, about it. Um, he then came into the press conference afterwards, and it, it, was an in, it was a very introspective press conference, wasn't it? I, I wasn't necessarily expecting that. You, you do get all sorts of press conferences from Kyrgios. Uh, I asked him the question, given everything, five sets, playing the defending champion here at a Grand Slam, is that the best performance of your career? He didn't answer that directly. He actually went into quite an introspective conversation about how low he's been and how far he's kind of come individually because he's, he, he said, I've been depressed for a long time because of not fulfilling potential for people thinking that I've blown it. Um, and, uh, yeah, he... He talked about pride, really, didn't he, in his performance today? That was the main, the main thing he was, he was referring to. I think was the fact that he'd finally, kind of, in a Grand Slam, not let himself down. Hmm. And I do think 
I said this before, but I do think losing the Wimbledon final in the end for the sort of long-term Nick Kyrgios tennis career was the best thing because it has left him motivated. He, he gave a line at the end of the press conference saying, well, three more matches and I never have to play tennis again. <laughs> um, but honestly, I was like really high on Kyrgios over the summer. just thought he was playing so well. But then some comments he gave in Cincinnati suggested that he was kind of at the end of his tank a bit like he's been away for a long time I just didn't feel as good about him coming into the US Open as I thought I would just because of those comments I thought he was just going to be a bit low on energy and he wants to get home but actually I think those tournaments in the summer were right in the middle of the slog now like the end is in sight and it's pretty clear for him now he either he either keeps winning and wins this title which given the way he played today is, is a distinct possibility or he goes home and I just think that that's kind of freed him up a bit mm. You say winning the title a distinct possibility I called it I think mix worthy tennis and I am well aware that I'm the person who said that he isn't in my mix Christos Kyrgios also well aware of that Yeah, got trolled there hi Christos <laughs> nice to hear you listening um, reading I, tweets anyway I will happily revise my um, judgment, my pre-tournament judgment, because he's very much in the mix to win this tournament. Um, I would not be surprised now if Nick Kyrgios won it. That doesn't mean I think he will win it, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did, um, because he's he's just come through a challenge I did not expect him to come through. Mm. Um, that's all there is to it. Who's he got next? Karen Hatchinov. Mm, he's favourite for that who beat Pablo Cuenio Busta in five sets today, which I must say I didn't see much of. There was a lot of other things going on. Yes. Uh, but that's a big win for him. Yeah, it's a very big win for him. I remember Hachinov and Kyrgios having an epic match on mm, yes. the John Kane Arena, is it called these days? It is these days. I don't know what iteration it was at the time yes. but yes at the Australian Open they, they went five sets it was absolutely epic that match yes um, so I've forgotten about that yeah it's not a foregone conclusion is it this this match for Kyrgios I think that that's another challenge because now it's one that he's supposed to win mm. on paper now he's had a few of those over the course of the summer and he's actually be, he's done a good job really at winning those matches that he's supposed to win of late, but this is an, a Grand Slam quarter-final. He's supposed to win, and Hatchinov's playing well. I agree. I, I, I back Kyrgios, but it's another tough match, and he's probably going to have three more very tough matches if he is to win this tournament. So, still, kind of lots to prove. Mm. One consequence of tonight is that Daniil Medvedev loses his number one ranking. Oh right, and who's in the mix for that? Well, it is. Rafael Nadal, Carlos Alcaraz or Casper Ruud will be number one at the end of the US Open. Rafael Nadal's favourite. Casper Ruud needs to win the tournament, um, not against Nadal in the final. Alcaraz needs to win the tournament and then kind of any other scenario, it's, it's Nadal. Right, OK. Well, we'll see. I mean, Nadal feels the, the fitting. Yes world number one to be honest the way the year's gone I think Alcaraz would be the youngest ever if he does get there goodness okay well we'll we'll see what happens with all of that the other match that was going on tonight I mean there's one going on at the moment with Ons Jabeur who's just won the first set 
against Veronika Kudamatova, and she's never beaten her before. So very close first set it was too. Um, we'll catch up on that tomorrow in tomorrow's show. But the one of the result we had tonight was the continuation of the Isla Tomljanovic story because after beating Serena Williams, it would be very understandable if she came out flat, exhausted, all those things. And, it, and in a completely different atmosphere. Yeah. You know, it, it was a bit flat on that court. Mm. You know, the Lewis Armstrong Stadium was the final match of the day on there. Just a completely different experience to the one she had the other night. Yeah. Um, and she faced Ludmilla Samsonova, who we've been talking about, how dangerous she is with the incredible run she's been on. Wasn't it 13 match wins in a row? 13 wins in a row, 18 sets in a row coming Goodness. into tonight. And she had six set points in the first set. <laughs> eight. Was it eight? In it the was end? eight in the end. Goodness me. Yeah, and there was a almost 20-minute game at 5-4 in that set which you just could not take your eyes off and Tomjanovic ended up saving seven set points in that game and just I thought it told you everything about both players that little sequence the way Tomjanovic did save those set points this this newfound grit and mental strength and ability to play well in the pressure moments was all at play and then having not taken those set points Samsonova came out to serve and just just casually held from Love 30 down and in about two minutes and was put the pressure back on Tomjanovic and I was like that is a stone cold killer on the court right there but, but then Tomjanovic kept it going and managed to win the tie break and then rolled through the second set she's, she's playing so well I'm really pleased for her that she's backed up the Serena win yeah I, I, that, you use the word grit I think that that mm. is the right word. Apart from being showing what a good tennis player he is, I mean, I hadn't noticed the backhand to this degree before, but I, I, I paid a special attention to it in some of the points that I was watching. It is a dream mm. the way she's striking that at the moment. But it's the, it is the grit. It's the fact that she just stares down these moments mm. of pressure ultimate pressure she did it against Serena Williams now she's done it against Sam Sonova and then the second set she just completely ran away with it when it's 6-1 you know there's none of the kind of oh I've won a set right <laughs> and then just having a kind of let down none of it um, so she's into the third quarter final of her career now at a Grand Slam tournament two Wimbledon quarters and now the first somewhere else yeah and second in a row it's yeah. a really consistent run of form who's she got? She plays the winner of Jabir Kudamatova. Okay, well, it was a, it was a great watch, and uh, congratulations to her. So, I think that about does it for tonight, Matt. The bus is about to head back to Manhattan. It's just past midnight, and uh, it's raining outside. Um, so, yeah, we'll finish by saying a big thank you to Phoebe. Oh, here we go. The bus is actually pulling away with us talking on the podcast. This is a first for you and me, isn't it, Matt? It is. <laughs> um, so thank you very much to our uh, mascot for the tournament, Phoebe. Uh, thank you very much to our individual mascots, Carter, who I believe has a birthday. Happy birthday, Carter. Happy birthday, Carter. You're yeah. right. Which is lovely. Um, and to that's Catherine's mascot my mascot is Darwin Matt's is the dearly departed Gerald uh, we have our executive producers uh, Chris Albert Lee and Carl Weingartner we have uh, Billie Jean the dog who's uh, sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss 
And we have shout-outs, Matt. Sue Humphrey. Right, Sue. Sue is originally from the province of New Brunswick in Canada. Oh, wow. But she now lives in Vancouver. And she has a black and white tuxedo cat named Lawrence, known as Laurie, who is named after the character of the same name in Little Women. Goodness. And we have hashtag shout-out analysis from Catherine, <laughs> which is becoming a new favourite segment. Catherine says, Sue! <laughs> Firstly, I've heard brilliant things about Vancouver, and it's near the top of my to-visit list. Oh, yeah. Secondly, my ex-housemate's cat that hated me, Magic, is a tuxedo cat. So they have a special place in my heart. It definitely did hate Catherine, yeah. And Catherine says, as does Little Women. Did you watch the Greta Gerwig adaptation? Yes, I did, Catherine. Catherine says, I thought Timothy Chalamet as Laurie was excellent. <laughs> thank you, Catherine. And thank you to... Who was it again? Sue. Sue. Sorry, Sue. <laughs> thank you, Sue. <laughs> We've also got Jesus Jimenez, who we know. Hey, Jesus. We met Jesus for the first time this week at the US Open. He's a writer for the New York Times, and he's a lovely chap. He is lovely. He's in New York City. He's originally from Mexico, and his fun fact is that he once met Bianca Andrescu and her dog Coco at a hotel lobby in New York during the US Open. And as you can imagine, Catherine loves this. Catherine says, Jesus, I'm not a, I'm not personally a religious person, but it must be cool to share a name with someone that many millions of people think is the Messiah. God is obviously smiling upon you because you've got to meet Coco. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cheers, Jesus. Who else we got? We've got Elise Philippard, who is French but living in Abu Dhabi. All right, Elise. Elise, like Elise Mertens. Yeah. Is that how, the spe- how she spells? Yes. All oh, right. And Catherine says, Elise, what a beautiful, elegant name. You could have been the third wheel in the Simone de Beauvoir, Jean-Paul Sartre existentialist love story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I told you it was a good section. It is, isn't it? Is it? I mean, it's almost... I'm not saying I don't want Catherine to be on, but I quite like the degree of analysis she goes into. Yes, Catherine coming up with shout-out analysis on the spot is always great, but having a few extra seconds to think about it, her mind is going in all sorts of places. (laughs) Magnificent. Okay, well, thank you, all of you, for supporting the Tennis Podcast, for being our friends. Um, And don't forget, if you are a friend, you get to enter our incredible AO Travel competition. The link to become a friend if you want to do so and you want to enter that competition you want access to all of our bonus podcasts is in our show notes if you are already a friend and you haven't seen the newsletter have a look <laughs> the link to enter the competition is in there or you can email us at friends at tennispodcast.net um, and we'll send you a link if you're already a friend so there we are um, we'll speak to you tomorrow there's loads more tennis coming your way <laughs> this old coach and bus is getting a bit bit difficult to sort of talk on now because it's going up and down i feel like i'm on a roller coaster so i'll leave it there (laughs) bye a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.